All right, you're, you're at the session, Amazon on Amazon, how Amazon designs chips on AWS. Uh, thanks for attending. My name's Chris King. Uh, I'm a, in the Annapurna organization in AWS, uh, F1 engineering manager, and also manage the EDA infrastructure for the US infrastructure. Um, so um, I'm really excited to talk to you about how we do it. And um, I'm gonna also talk about what other partners and EDA vendors are doing on AWS, but the main focus will be uh, how we build our sil silicon um, and how we use our own AWS infrastructure to build that silicon. So a little quick agenda. We're gonna go over EDA development in the cloud, go over some basics, um, go over the internal AWS silicon development, talk about some of the managed services that can be used for EDA, and then also the AD, AWS EDA infrastructure, a quick demo or a little sneak peek at an upcoming workshop that we're gonna do. So related breakout sessions for, uh, for this week. Um, we have CMP 405, it's a uh, accelerate your C and C++ applications on EC2 F1. This is a workshop where two hours and 30 minutes, you're gonna learn how to use the F1 instance. Um, I think this is pretty valuable for this, this audience to know because what I'm gonna talk about later is how you can use the F1 instance for EDA. Um, you know, one thing is you know, IP uh, emulation and uh, verification acceleration. So I'd encourage you to look at this uh, workshop and see if it's interesting to you. Uh, that's on Wednesday, November 28th. Um, on Thursday, we're gonna talk, uh, actually do the EDA infrastructure workshop that kind of relates to this session. So my team has put together a workshop that uh, will pretty much build an EDA infrastructure out of the box for you. Um, we've stripped down our internal uh, templates and infrastructure, and we have now are gonna be providing it to you to build an infrastructure in that two and a half hours, and run a simulation and see the scale of AWS. It's gonna be a really cool workshop, and I hope you'll uh, attend. And that's on Thursday, uh, 3.15. Okay, so as we all know, the semiconductor industry is a very complex industry. Um, so it starts with kind of the design specification uh, and, and predicting what your design and features need to, uh, need to have and your specification and architecture for two to four years out. Um, and then designing your chip, designing your IC, and then verifying it, making sure it doesn't have any bugs, um, and then uh, paying you know, 10, 20 million dollars to, to get it uh, manufactured. Um, just there, there's a lot of opportunities and challenges, a lot of challenges and opportunities for improvements. Um, we see that the cloud can, can help look at those, uh, those opportunities and challenges differently, and we can use some of the AWS managed services to do that. And then continuing on, you got chip uh, packaging and assembly and product integration, which as we continue down this path of moving to the cloud, we'll start to see those stages in the semiconductor development be automated and improved by using the cloud. So your on-premise EDA infrastructure today, 
you have a lot of questions that you need to ask yourself. And I think these are important things to think about. You know, what servers should you buy? And when should you buy them? How many do you buy? What are your needs going to be uh, throughout the design cycle? Um, if you're doing gate level simulations, how big of servers do you need for these gate level simulations? Uh, how much memory, when do you need them by? Your design cycle may change and you may have purchased them too soon or too late. Um, and then, you know, what's your throughput uh, of, of your compute and storage? And how fast can you get new compute and storage when you're working on premises? Uh, and then, you know, how do you protect your IP? That's, that's one of the most important things about our semiconductor industry is the intellectual property that we create and how do we protect it. Uh, capacity planning, as I've already said, we, we, we need to make sure that, that we're ready for that peak when it hits in the development cycle. So network latency, how do you know that your uh, network file system is gonna be able to support the billions of cycles that you need to run? Um, how do you know that your shared file storage is gonna, is gonna be able to, to handle uh, millions of small files? being, generate, being uh, written and read at the same time. So, and also, how are the third-party EDA licenses uh, work in your on-prem and used by the different teams in your organization? So before we get into answering all those questions, let's start with some, some basic vocabulary. I, I, I understand most people here are probably from the semiconductor industry, but just in case you're not, let's just talk about it because I could use these terms and you may not know. So, fabulous semiconductor company. So, Amazon is a fabulous semiconductor company. We don't own a fab. Um, you just saw that we released a new chip, uh, a new A1 uh, instance type uh, based on our own silicon. Um, so, there's other examples of fab fabulous semiconductor companies, Qualcomm, NVIDIA, Broadcom, Apple. Uh, you know, this is a very common, common uh, method. Uh, and then there's the semiconductor foundry, which is actually what manufactures these, these chips. Uh, next is the integrated semiconductor company. This is more like the big companies that have fabs, Intel, uh, used to be AMD. Um, and then you've got the electronic design automation. This is what we call EDA. This is the software and the synthesis and the tools and the infrastructure that allow you to develop these chips and allow you to develop the silicon. And then you've got your intellectual property, we call it IP. Uh, this is what you wanna protect, this is what's yours, this is your secret sauce. And this is sometimes what you license to other companies. So let's go over some of the challenges and work our way down from the top. So the first, if you can break it down into three, three distinct phases in the development uh, cycle. You got the front end, the back end, and the product and test, the kind of the post-silicon. Um, so uh, breaking down the front end, you've got design specification, you know, trying to understand what are your needs, what does the product need for two to four years out. And then taking those needs, putting them into a design, and then verifying that design, making sure that there's no bugs, and then making sure that it can physically be uh, be uh, laid out and created in, in the fab. And so those, there's lots of challenges in the, just the front end. Um, billions of simulation cycles. 
So one of the things that, uh, that uh, some companies use is they use metrics to determine when they're ready to tape out. Those metrics could be uh, that I've hit a certain co verification coverage, that I've heard, hit a certain billions of cycles during my design bake. Um, but those billions of cycles take a toll on the infrastructure, and the infrastructure design can slow those, those cycles down, which slows the development. So we've also got millions of small files are being created during these verification simulation and verification runs. Um, it's also a high level of concurrency when you're running thousands, tens of thousands of jobs all at once. And that equates to a, a need for a high performance storage. Um, the storage that we see is uh, you know, a mix of random and sequential I.O. for this front end. Um, and uh, it's very taxing on, on the storage system when you're running these simulations. So there's lots of challenges on the front end. Now let's move to the back end. So the back end is you know, large files, very sequential accesses, and large memory machines. One of the questions I asked was earlier, when are you going to need these big machines for gate-level SIMs, GLS? Um, and how big a memory are you going to need? Um, so that's a big challenge. Uh, your, your verification team could say, I'm only going to run 10 tests for GLS. Or, and then they could change their mind and say, we found a bug. I really need to run 100. And now you've got a big problem. Now you've got to be able to find you know, uh, 90 more terabyte machines to be able to run these simulations. So the back end has significant challenges. And then, as we know, the uh, production and test, you do a lot of stuff pre-silicon bef before silicon comes out to prepare for uh, post-silicon production and test. And so those things are incorporated in some of the front end testing and, and the uh, preparation. So definitely a lot of challenges in the chip development that when you, when you make changes to your infrastructure or you have an infrastructure, it can significantly affect this development cycle. So a lot of uh, the front end has been worked on in the cloud for a number of years. Um, uh, there's a lot of partners, and we'll talk about those partners. But just recently, there's been a major announcement, and that's TSMC has, pretty, has announced that they're supporting the cloud. And the cloud is pervasive, and it will be fundamentally influenced the silicon design. TSMC is the first foundry to collaborate with design ecosystem partners and cloud partners to enable designs in the cloud. This is huge. This pushes the cloud adoption down the de development cycle farther down as we make our way from front end to back end to, to post-silicon. So let's talk about, let's go back to the front end a little bit more and talk about what are some of the partners are doing uh, to enable cloud development. So Cadence has got kind of two paths here. They've got a fully managed path on the right and then they've kind of got bring your, you know, we'll, we'll support you in your own cloud path. And uh, this is a, you know, a very good uh, start from Cadence and we, we, we expect this to continue to grow. Um, and I think this will continue to um, enable companies to, to build in the cloud. 
And then Synopsys is starting to uh, release more and more support for the cloud. They have a similar approach where they have a customer managed, uh, where they provide scripts, uh, support for running in the cloud. And then they've got a Synopsys managed uh, option. Um, and then they also have the emulation managed option too. Um, so a lot of adoption from our EDA vendors, which is starting to help this movement to the cloud. So let's talk a little bit about some of the partners that are, uh, that are, that are, um, that are migrating to the cloud and how they're doing. So in 2010, or 2012, uh, NXP has started to migrate to the cloud. Um, they've built up a significant R&D IT um, uh, dedicated team to work on the cloud, and they've been a partner with AWS to, uh, to build, build out the, uh, their cloud infrastructure. And we really are looking forward to, to seeing more and more of what they're building and, and hear about uh, their progress. Next is Xilinx. So Xilinx and AWS have been uh, partnered a lot over the last couple of years. Um, one is F1 instance. Uh, uh, we partnered with Xilinx to build the F1 instance. And in that partnership, we learned from each other. Um, we learned about FPGAs. Xilinx learned about uh, working in the cloud and the AWS services. Um, so since that partnership, it's generated Xilinx running some of their regressions and you know, overflow into the cloud. Um, they've, you've got instant access to the right compute and memory for their jobs, and it's, it's reduced their development cycle time already. Another one is MediaTek. So MediaTek has, has been developing in the AWS cloud. They've been uh, working with AWS for some time now, and we're happy to see that they've gone through a full development cycle on AWS. Okay, so let's talk about some of the AWS managed services that are useful for EDA. So I'll spend a little bit of time on this chart, and then we'll go and we'll break it down more uh, you know, into each pieces. And I'll focus on how these are used in EDA and how we use them for our custom silicon in, in, in EDA. Oops, sorry. So first is automation and orchestration. So uh, there's, there's two main, main pieces here, AWS Batch and CFN Cluster. So, AWS Batch is a, a majority kind of a container-based approach um, that spins up instances uh, dynamically uh, for you and orchestrates the, the dynamic uh, uh, you know, up and down of the instances using ECS and Docker. And it's uh, very powerful. It's what we use internally, what we're, what we're going towards internally. Um, and we feel that uh, it's, it's kind of the direction of the future for running uh, simulations and backend uh, jobs. Um, but we also see a very uh, important need for CFN cluster. CFN cluster is a, uh, is, a, is a framework that allows you to utilize your own, your current uh, scheduler and benefit from dynamically scaling in the cloud. So using SGE, uh, SunGrid Engine, to immediately just start taking advantage of scaling up and scaling down. Um, I think this is a great short-term 
uh, benefit for using the cloud and, 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 and uh, scaling out into the cloud. Um, they're making a lot of improvements to the CFN cluster tool, and I think it's uh, something you should consider in your plans, in your short-term plans. Um, I haven't used Nice Engine Frame yet, but uh, it's definitely an option to consider. So that's the automation and orchestration. I see batch as the long-term approach for us. We are gonna containerize, and I'll show you a little bit more about that later in the presentation. Storage, so storage has been a key for us. We, we've spent a lot of time benchmarking storage options. We even built our own kind of a model, benchmarking model of what a simulation does, looks like to a storage, uh, to, to, a, to a storage cluster or uh, NFS server. Um, we did this because we wanted to be able to share the behavior of, of that, um, that benchmarking model with the internal teams. Um, and by sharing it with the internal teams, we were able to get their feedback and help them improve their, their uh, service. And so we built this model. We, we've benchmarked some of these internal, um, or sorry, these storage options. And we feel that there's actually a good combination that, to go with for development. We look at our workflows and our storage needs and then we categorize them. So we focus on like transient data and non-transient data. Data that changes very often and data that stays pretty much the same. I'll give you an example, non-transient data is uh, tools. Tools don't change very often. I mean, you upgrade them every now and then, but they don't change that often. Transient data is uh, re regression results, uh, builds. They change very often, daily, weekly, hourly. And so we, uh, we've categorized these types of workflows, categorized these types of data, and we've put together the storage option for each type and each workflow. And so EFS is a very important for us. You know, we may use it for you know, home directories or um, you know, uh, tools directories, um, but then we put together maybe a more uh, different solution, uh, an NFS type solution for our, um, where our simulation results go. And so we've built up multiple storage options to be able to build the optimal kind of architecture of storage. Um, so, and then S3, so S3 is actually where we feel we wanna go long term. Um, we want all data to be really reside on S3 and restrict what needs to be on a network file system and be very, and scrutinize what goes on a network file system. So for example, we have new projects where all the regression data goes to S3. The user, it, it takes the user an extra step, but they have to run this command to pull the data down to S3, maybe the failure. Um, maybe we have some automation that pulls the failures down automatically to a network file system, but a majority of the data is on S3. And that helps us with a lot of problems with storage and, and storage, uh, maintaining large amounts of storage and data and understanding when we can kind of, uh, when we can remove data and when we don't need it. Um, so S3 has a very good uh, kind of life cycle for that. 
compute. So this is the heart of it all. So this is uh, your development cycle is dependent on your compute since you run billions of cycles. Um, we, we look constantly for the fastest compute. And that's the great thing about AWS is you get access to the fastest processors, the fastest servers. And you don't have to spend the money to upgrade anything, any hardware. It's, it's available to you right away. Um, so Z1D, you've heard a lot about that. We'll talk a little bit more about it. Uh, we've started using Z1Ds. We see up to 30% improvement in our simulation times with Z1Ds. I highly recommend it. Uh, we, Z1Ds were built with a certain memory and vCPU ratio, and uh, we, we, we helped with that ratio and gave them feedback, and we feel that it's a good fit for our compute needs. Um, FPGAs, so we, FPGAs have a really uh, um, niche place in the development cycle for silicon, and it really depends on your design and how much FPGA size you wanna, you wanna purchase. Um, the F1 instance, I think, fits really well with IP emulation and uh, some validation uh, usages. Um, so you just heard from ARM, they released a reference board in the cloud is what I'll call it. Uh, essentially, you now have access to an ARM processor uh, in the cloud, and you can develop for that processor in the cloud. Um, so we feel that the F1 instance for our projects is very powerful, and that's where F1 came from, from our internal development and our internal um, uh, expertise on FPGAs. So compute, um, we also, you know, make use of auto-scaling, but we also make use of it through the batch. Uh, visualization is important. We, uh, we, we use what's not listed here as some of the things that we actually use, but nice DCV is, is a tool that's out there. Um, we don't use it, but I think it's very powerful. Um, and But we are shifting to workspaces, Linux workspaces. Um, but currently we use a combination of an RDP X11 and an NX server. Um, so networking, um, very important enhanced networking. We look at all ways to, to get that uh, biggest bang for the networking um, uh, speeds. Uh, that's one of our, when we architect an infrastructure, we're always looking at what our instance types and the networking bottlenecks. And ISVs, I see that this in the future that we'll see a lot more partners, a lot more people, uh, ISVs and partners on AWS Marketplace that offer IP and offer tools and more EDA tools. It's coming soon. I think it's already starting with ARM. It's uh, Xilinx has their tools up there on AWS Marketplace, and we'll see more and more in the future. Okay, so let's break down the compute families and how they relate to EDA. So first, on the far left, we've got the general purpose. I'm sure you guys are all familiar with these, but I'll just touch on them really quick. So we've got the general purpose. We've got the compute optimized with the C5, C4, Z1D. And then we've got the, uh, the storage and I.O. The I3 is the key one there that we, we use. And then the memory optimized. You know, this is your GLS, your big memory machines, you know, SOC type simulations. And then you've got the GPU graphics and the GPU and FPGA compute. 
So now let's overlay what's, what EDA workloads fall into these categories. So we typically use the T2, M5, M4s for uh, these service instances. Uh, I, I listed license servers as an example, but these are instances that are always up and running. They're doing a very minimal task and um, they're pretty cost effective. Um, the next is compute. This is where we're using uh, formal verification, physical synthesis. Uh, this is uh, where we're trying to get the most done in the least amount of time. And so we're always pushing the edge here. We were running on C5, Z1Ds came out, and now we're running on Z1Ds. We see a good benefit there. Um, we also see a really good benefit from using I3s, uh, especially with the ephemeral. Uh, the, what I do here is I, I use these for um, like scratch space, stuff that's, uh, you know, simulation results that can be replicated. We found that the I3s with the ephemeral are very fast, provide a lot more um, uh, faster simulation time. Um, RT, or sorry, power and timing, we see that the, uh, the large memory machines are really required. We've got you know, the X1s, of course, the, even the high memory machines that we've been coming out with recently, R5s, um, and, and also we're doing a lot of emulator builds on these machines too. Uh, GPU graphics, uh, we use these machines for uh, the designers that need a uh, improved desktop running in the cloud. And then GPU and FPGA, this is an, uh, mainly used for, we don't usually use the GPUs that much, but we use the FPGA instances for the IP emulation. Um, and what I mean by that is we take an IP small block that can fit into our F1 instance, put it on the instance, and verify it. Verifying it using an accelerated verification techniques. Um, and uh, we do this you know, with our own uh, internal, internal development cycle. Okay, so let's talk, touch more on Z1D because they're so important to the EDA development. Um, so these, these are uh, custom, you know, custom cores for us, for AWS, and they're sustained all core frequency up to four gigahertz. So six different sizes, up to 48 vCPUs, and includes local NVMe storage. Um, like I said, we, we work directly with the team to optimize the memory to CPU, vCPU ratio, and we see about a 30 to 40% improvement. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about optimizing EC2 pricing. So I'm gonna talk to, on this slide about how, what we do, um, and, and then you can kind of relate it to, to, to your own uh, infrastructure. So for on-demand, that's where we run, we use Batch. Batch uses on-demand. Um, we see a lot of value in being able to run a, a regression that has 10,000 tests anytime you want. You don't wait for overnight. You don't wait for the weekend. If you need to do it at 2 p.m., you do it at 2 p.m., you get your results back so that you can debug at 3 p.m. Um, and so on-demand is key for us. And, and we use the batch for the orchestration of that. Reserved instances, uh, you, you know, we, we still reserve instances, even though we're an internal team. We wanna make sure that, uh, that, 
that these instances are, are, for, are always there for us, uh, for our service instances, and uh, that, that just helps our, uh, you know, our, our kind of infrastructure administration. Uh, and then Spot, um, Spot's very powerful for you. Um, I, uh, you know, I can't make use out of it like you, Tan, but it's super powerful. If, if I was running an external uh, EDA company, I would be utilizing Spot every, as much as I could. Um, this is where you can get lower cost, essentially, silicon development. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity in, the, in regressions and simulations where even if Spot is running and you're preempted, you can still make a lot of progress, I think, in, 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 in the silicon development space. Okay, so let's talk more about Batch. Um, so Batch is an orchestration. It dynamically provisions your instances, starts them up, brings them down, right? You, bring, you give it a job definition. Um, it could be simple like a script. We use a container. We, use a, a, we put together a, a container and we run a job through the container um, on, the, on the instances that Batch spins up. Um, but it, it does all the work for you, and it's simple. Um, the command is right there, batch, submit job, name, job definition. This one's asleep. It's pretty easy. And then outputs your job ID. It's very similar to your LSF SunGrid engine. Um, and so we feel that batch is very powerful for us, and we see that this, this is kind of the future. Storage. So I talked more about the store. I talked about storage earlier. Um, you know, this is uh, ephemeral and EBS is where we focus on our, our NFS, our network file system uh, architecture. We put together a mixture of, of the ephemeral and the EBS, and uh, depending on the data and data and the data category, um, EFS we see definitely see a good value for that, and then the S3 is where we want majority of our kind of data, data lake to be. Um, what, the reason why we see that is because we feel that if we put data on S3, especially like regression data that needs to be analyzed, we see that we can benefit from the, all the other AWS services that are out there from analyzing this data. So that's the direction that we want to go. Visualization. So. Well, I mentioned earlier, we're moving to workspaces. Workspaces Linux was uh, released in, uh, in the spring. Um, it's based on Amazon Linux 2. And we feel that it's the, it's the right direction for us. Um, uh, it's also very important that we run all of our jobs in containers so that we can, we can de um, define the OS requirements as we need to. Um, and we don't have to worry that Amazon Linux 2 is going to be supported by this tool and not this tool. If it's run in containers, we can run CentOS 6.5 for this workload. We can run 7.2 in this workload, and, it's, and it all works, you know, works well. Um, one thing we'll, if you do attend the workshop, one thing you'll see is we also use uh, remote desktop X11 um, in the workshop. That's just because we can script it really easy and it's, uh, it's fairly easy to use. Um, and so that's what we're using in the workshop. Um, okay, so a uh, big plug for the EDA white paper. So this is your, 
your, uh, this is your Bible or your golden ticket, right? So go and read the EDA white paper if you haven't already because they've done a great job on this white paper. It will help you define your infrastructure and guide you in the right direction. And we're gonna just keep improving this, this white paper. So um, keep an eye out for, uh, for, for revisions. Okay, so now I'd like to spend a little bit of time and talk about us more. Um, I wanted to make sure I covered all the, uh, the infrastructure, AWS stuff, but I wanna talk about what we are and what we do in, in, in Amazon. Um, so we're Annapurna Labs. Um, Annapurna Labs was a startup that was acquired by Amazon, um, and we're a fabulous company inside of AWS. So. AWS is built on multiple small teams. They're called two pizza teams, uh, like small startups. And uh, we're just another one of those small teams. Um, we have multiple projects going on, multiple internal startup teams, multiple project lines, multiple sites. It's a global group. Um, and we're very passionate about our projects and about our customers, um, internal and external. And, this team uh, supports multiple projects that you've already seen, especially if you attended the uh, Monday Night Live with Peter. So let me talk about our journey and how we got, got here. So back in 2014, uh, we, we had multiple teams uh, working on uh, semiconductors, uh, our uh, custom silicon in AWS and Amazon. And we acquired um, uh, a team in, in uh, Annapurna and we built one big, great team. And that team has built an infrastructure and, and migrated down an infrastructure of running in the cloud, running on AWS. And so let me talk about how we got there, because I think the story really kind of tells uh, maybe a common story with, with everybody else in the EDA infrastructure or EDA industry that wants to move to the cloud. So we first started with uh, a team that was new and didn't have anything. And we had started with a team that had a lot of stuff. They had servers, servers in closets, servers in rooms. They had data centers. Um, and the, the team that had nothing, it was, it was very apparent and clear that they should just start on AWS, and they did. And they moved to AWS. Uh, they built the infrastructure very similar to how they uh, knew an infrastructure, EDA infrastructure worked in the past, and they built their projects from there. Uh, the team with on-premise wanted to scale out. They wanted to, um, when, when they needed new infrastructure, when they needed more resources, they wanted to get those resources from the cloud instead of on-premise. And so they did that. It's called the hybrid model. They took, uh, they took, um, they're on-prem and they scaled out to the cloud when they needed it during their development cycle. This was really helpful because it shortened that silicon development time and it allowed for uh, them to learn about the AWS cloud and to learn about the services that are available. And then the next stage was, was we decided we wanted to all go in on the cloud. We wanted to be all in on AWS. And so what we did is we took everything we've done on premise 
and we moved it to the cloud. There's a lift and shift. Um, that got us there quick. We had different teams, multiple regions, and we did a multi, an end-to-end -end silicon project on AWS. The on-premise infrastructure stayed where it was. We kept, we maintained that, but we moved to the cloud. Now we're progressing farther today to all in the cloud, reducing the on-prem, increasing the productivity by using native AWS services, replacing the lift and shift components with, with new AWS services that allow us to do things faster and so we can improve that productivity. Batch, EFS, S3, using the latest and greatest instances. That's helped us improve that productivity, shorten that device, uh, development cycle. So that's been our journey. Um, uh, it's still continuing and we're still progressing, um, but we're learning a lot. And one thing that's great that, I feel, that, I, that I've learned during this journey is um, we, we can, even though we're, we're building silicon, we're building custom silicon for, for AWS, we can uh, benefit, we can help the services by giving them feedback and improving it for the EDA industry. And that's what we, you know, we hope to do, is we hope to go into Batch and say, this is how EDA customers will use your tool and, and give them that feedback, which improves these services. And we'll continue to do that. So what were the results of our movement to the AWS cloud and working on AWS? Well, we've seen the development time reduced. We had no limits to the infrastructure resources. We scaled up when we needed to. We got the GLS machines when we needed to, those high memory machines. Faster simulations. Right when we jumped on Z1D, we saw a bump. New infrastructure functionality. We started replacing things in our infrastructure that didn't need to be manually provisioned. I'll give you one example is databases. We found that it's so much easier to use an AWS database than manage our own, so we replaced them. Um, a lot of tools from the EDA vendors allow you to have an, your own, connect up your own database and, 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 and then provide that kind of hooks to connection, and we made use of that. Um, faster prototyping. We found that we could create uh, proof of concepts uh, very quickly in, in AWS. If there was someone had an idea and we needed to do something about it, we wanted to try it out, we could scale out a VPC, give, give them something to try, and then shut it down when they're done. So develop and test some new ideas. The other thing that's not on here is uh, we found that we had sometimes external contractors working on our projects. On the on-prem, we had to give them access. We had to let them work on our project. In the cloud, we found ways to provide them an isolated working environment where we and them can work together on their piece of their work that they're delivering to our project. And we found this very helpful. Um, and it really helped uh, remove barriers for the, the contractors too because they got a chance to be able to scale out and not be constrained um, by any type of internal or you know, 
on-premise resource restrictions. So let me talk a little bit about what we've done at Annapurna Labs. And I'll touch on some of the new things too. I don't have slides for those, but I'll kind of talk through them. So the big thing was, you know, the old EC2 instances had their hypervisor running on the host, right? And so, uh, you know, what we've done here is we've, the C5 was the first instance to offload, right? Nearly 100% of the CPU now is available. Um, and that's because we have the Nitro system. That's that little card down there. That's our, that's our uh, Annapurna's project. So this was a, a very uh, important project in our, uh, in our journey, and we benefited from the AWS infrastructure. The next one is the F1 instance. So our, uh, our engineering team has worked on FPGAs, and we built out the F1 instance two years ago at reInvent was released. And we're seeing a lot of growth in this area in multiple domains. Um, uh, genomics, uh, video uh, processing, uh, image processing, um, data analytics, uh, financial. And so uh, this instance is a, is, is a instance that's available to everybody. It's, um, it's a Xilinx uh, FPGA. And you can see here kind of the architecture of it. Um, it uses a, an AMI as what's loaded on the, the host CPU. But we've introduced a new thing called an AFI. Um, and that's an Amazon FPGA image. Very similar characteristics to an AMI. But the key difference is that AFI or that AFI ID, similar to an AMI ID, represents the FPGA image that gets loaded on the FPGA. And so with the AMI-AFI, on the F1 instance, you have a host FPGA image that you can load at any point in time. And so if you go down deeper into the FPGA, uh, it's, it's connected to our CPU via PCIe 6 by 16 and it has four DRAM controllers directly connected to the FPGA. So one of the things we have on the FPGA is a small layer of security and, um, and kind of a very, like a common interface for uh, FPGA users. And this provides customers with very uh, common AXI type interfaces so that they can build their hardware accelerators a lot easier. Um, and so we've done our development, internal development of that shell interface is, is all been done on top of AWS infrastructure. So we've done the verification, the synthesis, and uh, the kind of the place and route and all that on AWS infrastructure. Now, the, the user, when, they're, when they build their hardware accelerator for F1, they send it to us for an ingestion. And what that does is it saves off that, that AFI into our secure servers so that when they're ready to load it, just like they're ready to, you're ready to load an AMI ID, it uh, loads an AFI, an image. And so that service runs entirely on native AWS. It's, it's an EDA service, essentially, down, uh, down underneath. It uh, takes, takes a, a checkpoint of your design, takes our shell, and merges them together in a, in a, a method called partial reconfiguration and writes out a bit stream and saves it into our secure servers. 
And we do all that on top of our EDA infrastructure. Okay, so let's go into a little bit of a, I would say a sneak peek demo at, uh, uh, at what our workshop is gonna, uh, what's gonna be in our workshop. Um, and so I'm gonna talk through this demo. It's gonna roll through uh, some scaling of uh, using batch. Um, it uh, uses an F F1 FPGA uh, developer kit, AMI, which what, what's in the AMI is a Xilinx tools. Uh, Xilinx tools come with a, a simulator. Um, the, Xilinx, the AMI is on AWS Marketplace and it's free. So it's a free simulator. Um, it simulates uh, Verilog and system Verilog um, and we are gonna show how you can scale up using this AMI and run simulations on AWS. So first, let me talk a little bit about the architecture of, of what's being created here. Um, so the, the architecture is very simple. We've taken our internal templates and we've stripped them down to these base, this base infrastructure and this is what we're kind of we're providing uh, uh, during the workshop. So you've got an availability zone, two private subnets, or sorry, a public subnet and a private subnet, and you've got uh, a remote desktop server. This is your desktop in the cloud, and then you've got in your private subnet your your uh, compute instances that are dynamically spun up and down from your from batch orchestration, and then we've got an NFS and an EFS server. Um, and this is all done by using AD for the login. So that's the architecture. This is kind of the workflow. Um, so users will log into the remote desktop. They'll bring open a, uh, once they log in and are, are authenticated uh, through AD, they will log in, they will run uh, a batch submit command, and then batch will spin up instances data will be saved to the file system and the results will be completed, tests will pass or fail, and that's how the workflow. So let's zero down a little bit farther into the life of a job in this workflow. So the jobs could be a place and route, a synthesis, simulation, those go into batch and the batch spins up instances. What, what, are, what are running on those instances? What, what are truly there? So this is kind of a view of that. An EC2 instance, which has a host OS, which is running a Docker engine, which has multiple containers running on top of that. And so each of those containers is running that job. Each of those containers has a mount or mounts that are accessing the network file system to get tools and to write regression results. Okay, so let's start the video. Um, this has uh, been recorded, and I will just kind of talk through this and how it goes. So we have a script here that uh, runs uh, kind of a regression. Um, and one of the key things is in the script is, a, is, our, is our develop, from our developer kit for F1 is our tools. You can see it's using Vivado 2018.2. Um, it's bringing open the tools and it's starting to kick off the jobs. These are um, 
we're going to uh, simulate 10 simulation jobs. Um, so all of these jobs are being submitted to batch. You can see here he's going, we're going to the dashboard. So we've got nine runnable jobs and one running. So one's already kicked off. We're using the GUI here to, to actually show something. If we can do all this through CLI and stuff, but that would be so interesting. <laughs> um, so we're checking to see uh, the scaling is happening. Right now there's only one job. So we're looking and trying to understand what's going on. Oh, we figured out that we had desired vCPUs only at two. So we need to uh, update the desired vCPUs to, to, to make the scale go out farther, so to go wide. So we're looking at some monitor, CloudWatch monitoring to see what our CPU usage is to make sure that our jobs are running. And so while we click through this, um, the uh, FPGA uh, developer kit is on GitHub. Um, this demo is using a combination of the FPGA developer AMI on Marketplace and the FPGA developer kit on GitHub. So those two together, we're running one of the simulations that's in the developer kit using the Xilinx XSIM tool. And uh, the, these, are, these are purely just simulations of a design that is going to be on F1, but the purpose is trying to understand what are the issues in, before we uh, build for F1. Um, building for F1 takes four hours plus, depending on your de design complexity. So using simulation can be very helpful in you know, working out any bugs um, before committing to that long build time. So, uh, so now what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to change the width of this regression cluster. And we're going to do that by using desired vCPUs. We're going to change it to 20. That just made the, the cluster you know, go out by about a magnitude. So we were only running one job. Now we're going to run 10 jobs. Each uh, job takes uh, two vCPUs is what the requirement here is. Okay, so now we start to see the scaling scale out. So the instances are starting to spin up. The jobs are running. These jobs take 10, 15 minutes. We're, it's not, we're not gonna wait for this to fully complete, but you can see that the, the runnable jobs are now uh, at seven. 
and we're starting to, to ramp up. Now, the great thing about batches, you can set, set these thresholds so you can keep so many of them instances warm so that this startup time can be very quick. Um, that's uh, probably the most, some of the most important parameters that you have to kind of play with is what's your, what's your go wide size and what's your kind of, you, what, your, your warming, which ones, how many you want to keep warm and pay for. Um, and so that's something that, you know, is all project dependent and that you have to kind of, kind of dial in. And you can see we're kind of already starting to ramp down. So uh, very, only four running. And we're starting to see some of the uh, CPU usage peek through. So on our workshop, what we're going to do is we're going to use uh, some tools uh, called a uh, service called CloudFormation, and we're going to provide a CloudFormation template where you'll be able to um, uh, build out an EDA infrastructure right out of the box, um, learn about it. You get to ask the, the experts that built the template how you can customize it and start using it um, during the workshop, and you'll be able to run some simulations. We're also going to show the, the virtual desktop running in the cloud. Um, and then we're going to show like a waveform editor running in the cloud. And so you'll get a kind of experience in, in you know, running a simulation. Um, and then you know, depending on your account limits, um, you know, we built the workshop for the default account limits. But depending on your account limits, you can go you know, as large as you want to try it out. Um, uh, the, like I said, the AWS FPGA AMI on Marketplace has Xilinx tools, which are free. So really, it's just the compute cost. And so you could scale out to thousands of uh, instances and run, this, uh, run these tests. OK, I think that pretty much concludes. Um, so just to remember another pitch on the workshop. So um, you're just going to be able to take home an AWS CloudFormation template and, um, and, and see the massive scale of AWS. And so that's on Thursday, um, right-sizing your silicon design environment and elastic clusters for EDA workloads. Okay. Well, um, I'll, I'll stand to the side and answer any questions afterwards. So come on up and you know, feel free to... You know, ask any questions to me. I can talk, talk through them. Um, otherwise, we'll go and, and, and talk more at the workshop, hopefully. No. Thank you.